chapter 6. This is page 84, and we've been looking at several of the offerings, and and now you are saying we, we went from five sections on instructions on sacrifices to more instructions on sacrifices. What is going on here? Uh, first of all, sacrifice is important. talks about how we must be delivered before we're devoted. Repetition is one of the most powerful ways of emphasis. We need to submit to the way God speaks to us. But second, these chapters explain the point of wor- the first chapters explain the point of worshiping God, and now we're going to see from the priests how they worship the Lord. We're going to read in, in sections. I'm not going to read right from the beginning. But let's open in prayer, and then we will get into God's word. Lord, now would you teach us from your old covenant, from the truth that you have given us, that we would be built up, that we would be encouraged, that we would be passionate about worshiping you, and that from that would flow a life of service and discipleship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you may have looked at the title tonight. You were thinking, Lord, I'm coming, I'm dry, give me something to hold on to. And then you see a directory for public worship. You see, just what I need, the DPW. And some of you are saying, what, what, what is the directory for public worship? And I know sometimes to explain a joke is to kill it, but hopefully it's helpful here. But we have a directory for public worship which gives ministers and elders step-by-step instructions about how to carry out certain tasks, whether receiving members or installing and ordaining an elder or a pastor or baptism. It lays out the necessary elements of worship. If you walk into a worship service, maybe communion, and you know if something goes wrong. I remember, I think I was still an intern, and we served gluten-free bread for everyone. And I just remember one of the elders' visits. We heard about it. How's it going? Well, elders, the, the bread was a little chalky. Right? You, you notice that something goes wrong. But what you don't realize is what goes on to prepare the, the, the orders of service, the, the, the Lord's Supper, the baptisms, receiving new members, and that is not even all the logistics of, of sound and music and facilities and preparing the communion, nursery, greeters, ushers, all of these things. God's worship doesn't happen by accident. It takes planning. It takes effort and discipline to worship God. And if anything, in the days of Leviticus, with the sacrifices and the lack of modern conveniences, it took more work. And so God lays out specific instructions for his priests to follow. And how will this passage speak to us? Here's here's the idea I want us to explore as we look through some of this passage. Here's the point, that worship is worth the work. It's work sometimes, but it's worth it. Your your worship of God, it takes time and effort, but because of who God is and what he's done for you, it is worth your highest priority, and it is your joy as a church. Now, we're not going to read, this is the first time, we're not going to read all of this chapter and a half. There'll be some times when we're going through the laws on mildew and mold and skin disease. We won't read every single verse. We'll read a good bit of it. Notice that the daily Bible readings does cover all of the passage, and there's some questions that we won't get to that I encourage you to read. But we will read portions, and the goal is to see the value in seeking the Lord with our hearts. So worship is worth the work, and I'm going to give you four reasons. The first reason that worship is worth the work is that it's commanded by God. Now, one of the unique 
features of this passage to the priests is that God's going to give instructions and he calls them laws. Now, in all five of the sacrifices, he's going to talk about all the five sacrifices that he's already mentioned. It begins by saying, these are the laws, Hebrew Torah. So let's just look, I just read just, a, just briefly a few of them. Um, chapter 6, verse 9. Command Aaron and his son, saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. 6.14. And this is the law of the grain offering. You can see in the daily Bible reading how it, it, it goes down. Um, there's, there's five laws and then a summary at the end. Possibly you might see five here and then five with the, the impurities later on for a total of ten. It's a nice round number, which gets us back to the Decalogue. It might be, it might be an analogy there. Regardless, this passage is connected to Sinai. Listen, look, look at chapter seven at the very end. This is a summary of this chapter. This is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. And in Sinai, you have the glory of the Lord. And now the tabernacle will be the new Sinai. It's the new mountain where God meets this people. They're going to see his glory. And so God's giving his priests directions, laws, about how to conduct themselves and to lead the people. So what do we learn from this without even reading the laws? Well, first of all, that God takes worship seriously. Right? He, he gives you rules and directions to follow. Now, we do have more leeway in the New, new Covenant. There's, we, we have some more freedom. And yet we should expect that God directs us and in his worship from scripture, we should we should be looking to scripture for direction. And, and if you if you look at our order of worship in both the morning and evening, but especially in the morning, you will in both of them. But you will notice that everything can be traced back to a particular practice or example in scripture. We, we believe in what's called the regulative principle that we only worship God in the ways that he commands us to. Right? It's because God takes Worship seriously. And how do we know that? Well, let's look at the next two reasons. It's because worship brings you into God's presence. So let's read some passages here now. We'll start at verse 8 in chapter 6, going through verse 13. And see if you can pick up, there's a, there's a main theme here. It's a, it's a word that's repeated. See if you can, can hear it. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth of the altar all night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and put his linen undergarment on his body, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has been reduced, has, has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. There's a, there's a theme of fire there, isn't there? The priests are commanded, whatever you do, keep the fire burning. I don't know what flag is outside the army, but there's a big deal, and you don't let the flag touch the ground. You do not let the plague touch the ground. You will, you, will, you will have NCOs and senior officers telling you rather less than nicely to get the flag off the ground if you drag it on the ground because the flag is important. We hold it with reverence and honor. 
And the, the priests are commanded to keep this fire burning day and night. Five times it says, fire. Clearly this is important. Right? The, and what does the fire symbolize? It's, it's God's presence with his people. Think about how God has revealed himself in the past. Moses is out in the wilderness and what does he see? A burning bush. Consumed by fire but not burnt up. When God leads Israel out of Egypt, there is a pillar of cloud by day, but fire by night. It's, it's a symbol of his presence that's at once both beautiful and terrible. We like to have fires as a family at night, sometimes campfires and a, a, a little fire pit outside. And there's something quite entrancing about our fires. The sky darkens and you see the flames and, and then the embers and the coal and the backdrop of the evening sky. Just a, a small little fire demonstrates God's glory and his beauty. Sometimes we'll take that fire and we'll throw some of my heavy-duty cardboard boxes that we that used to ship my dialysis fluid. And, and, and you watch them shrivel up in the flame. And you actually have that, that corrugated um, ribbing. And so you see the, the smoke shooting up from that until, until it just crumples in. The fire also shows God's holy judgment. It was one of the most destructive forces known to man at that time. And just like a fire will lick up cardboard... So a holy God will destroy anything unclean and unworthy in his presence. And so fire is a fitting symbol of God in both his beauty and his presence with his people, but also his holiness. Now, John Calvin noticed that God sent fire from heaven at the dedication both of the temple and before that, the tabernacle. We'll actually read about that next next time in in Leviticus chapter 9. Fire comes from heaven to the offer of the burnt offering, showing that God has accepted not only this sacrifice, but now he is present with him. And so God has started the fire, symbolizing his presence, and the people must not let it go out. And this fire is what calls people to worship God and, and, and the people daily. There is, there is something in the Hebrew tradition called the tamid, which simply means regularly or day by day. And you actually see this in various parts of, of the first few books of the Bible. And so the Tamid was an order of worship that the priests carried out every day from the beginning of, of when the tabernacle was consecrated. And it had at least three parts. There was, there was a slain lamb that was a burnt offering, and there would be one in the morning, and, and there would be one in the evening, two on Sabbath, two in the morning, two in the evening. And, and then the burnt offering at night would be placed on the altar, and all night it would be burnt until the morning. And then you saw the details of how they, how they had to clean it up. Right? And so this was symbolizing forgiveness of sin and then reconciliation and dedication. How Remember how this turned to smoke it symbolizes God's people ascending into his presence. So there was the burnt offering of God's people being brought right into his presence, ascending. And then, and then the priests were to trim the wicks. We won't turn there, but it's in Leviticus 24. And it talks about how the priests are to go in and, and trim the wicks of the uh, lamp. The, the, the language there is evening and morning. You are to do this. Once again, this, this symbolizes that God's people, the lamps are often symbol, symbol for God's people. You think about Revelation. It talks about the churches as lampstands. And God's people are, are, are there right before him in his holy, holy places, his presence. And so the, the priests are performing this and the lamps. And then there's the burning of incense. On that altar, symbolizing the prayers of the people that are going up to the Lord. Now, what was the purpose of this daily service? Well, turn with me back to Exodus 29. It's just, just a, few, a few pages back. Exodus 29. And we'll be looking at verses 40, 42 and on. So, Exodus 29, 
This would be page 70. And so this is talking about both when it starts, but as it continues on. And so God's giving Moses the commands for how to consecrate the temple and what they're supposed to be doing. And then it says it shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak with you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord your God. You can turn back to Leviticus. But you can see there both the beginning instructions, but this idea of this continual sacrifice where the Lord will be with his people in their glory. You see what's happening there. The fire symbolizes the Lord's presence and it's through through the fire that people ascend to his presence and it's through the fire that the Lord shows his glory. And what does this mean for you? It means that Sunday morning or evening when we come, it's not just a time where we come to do a few nice things and have community. We had a wonderful fellowship hour and that's a, that's, that's a wonderful time with God's people. Um, but it's more than that. I, I had a, a Mormon turned atheist when, when I was overseas and he was talking about the, the Mormon group and he said, well, no, the, I, I don't believe it anymore, but it was a great community. He, he, he committed that. And anyone can do community well, although it, that can be hard. But you're meeting the living God with the rest of his people as he shows you his glory. And not through a sacrifice now, but through what Jesus has accomplished through our prayer and worship and sacrament and song. God comes down and he meets with you. And you see that in this picture. Now, some people will say, uh, what, what makes public worship so special? And, you know, I, I, there, was, there was a chaplain who, whom I respected. He was just broadly evangelical. But he didn't like, I don't like that, that statement, you come into God's presence. Well, it's, I think it's in the Psalms. Um, but, but, you know, we can come to God's presence all the time. Well, you know, can I just come to God on my own? And you'd say, well, yes and no. But certainly you can and should meet God alone. Jesus is an example of that, going up and praying by himself. And yet there are differences between the way we meet God on your own and blessings, right? There's, there's the gathered weekly meeting with his people, and then there's the times that we're worshiping on our own. Now, there, there is the command to assemble at least once a week, and, and there is something that's special happening on Sundays. And Paul talks about how you hear, when you hear the word purged, you actually hear Christ speaking to you. Jesus says, when two or three are gathered, there I am in my midst. Realize that's a case of church discipline, but you get the idea of when God's people are coming together, Christ is there. I'll give you an example. My sister came down last Sunday evening, worshipped with us, and then spent a day and a half. And it was a wonderful time, a special time. We really enjoyed being with her. She lives in Texas, so we don't get to see her that much. It was really neat. But then, the next day, the 4th of July, she went her way, and we went to Elizabeth's family, and it was a special set time that we, we meet twice a year with her family. They come down here on New Year's and we go up there on 4th of July. And As a weak analogy, it's, it, this, is, this is a special, intentional time. It's just different than, than an ordinary visit. And it's the same when, when we talk with Jesus, when we meet with Jesus, it's the same Jesus, and yet he meets us with the Spirit in a special way during our gathered worship of God. And that's what you see here as the priests are offering the sacrifice on the fire that they attend. God is in your presence. The second thing is that worship distinguishes between the holy and common. Let's continue reading. We'll read verses 14 through 30. And now listen for the uses of holy. There's a lot of it. And even holy 
things, or it would be literally holy of holies. And this is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord in front of the altar. And one shall take from it a handful of the fine flour of the grain offering and its oil and all the frankincense that is on the grain offering and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the rest of it Aaron and his sons shall eat. It shall be eaten unleavened in a holy place. In the court of the tent of meeting they shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion, my food offerings. It is a thing most holy, like the sin offering and the guilt offering. Every male among the children of Aaron may eat of it as decreed throughout your generations for the, from the Lord's food offering. Whatever touches them shall become holy. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is the offering that Aaron and his son shall offer to the Lord on the day when he is anointed, a tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a regular grain offering, half of it in the morning, half in the evening. It shall be made with oil on a griddle. You shall bring it well mixed and in baked pieces like a grain offering and offer it for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The priest from among Aaron's sons, who is anointed to succeed him, shall offer it to the Lord as decreed forever. The whole of it shall be burned. Every grain offering of a priest shall be wholly burned. It is not to be eaten. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten. In the courts of the tent of meeting, whatever touches its flesh shall be holy. And when any of its blood is splashed on a garment, you shall wash that on which it was splashed in a holy place. And the earthenware vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken. But if it is boiled in a bronze vessel... That shall be scoured and rinsed in water. Every male among the priests may eat of it. It is most holy. But no sin offering shall be eaten from which any blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place. It shall be burned up with fire. And as you continue on, there's, there's similar laws and instructions about when to eat and when not. And what you see here is that worship to God is set apart as holy. It's, it's sacred. It's special. The tabernacle is a sacred space made pure and set apart because that's where God, the consuming fire, lives. And the priests must carefully observe the laws of the holiness. That They must give careful attention to what they wear. I don't know if you noticed earlier, but there were undergarments that the priests had to wear at a certain time, even when doing the chores, when, when sweeping up the ashes and taking them out. When and where to eat food and who eats what. There's more about that later on. If you would read the whole chapter, you could notice that the sacrifices are ranked on a discrete, decreasing scale of holiness. So the first four are considered most holy, and then the fellowship offering, which the people could eat, and also the priest's family could eat, not doesn't have to just be eaten in the, in the temple or the tabernacle, was just considered holy. So most holy to holy. So there's this understanding of degrees of holiness. And, and then there was this care for the blood, which, which purifies... And that needs to be handled with reverence. I don't know if you, you're reading that and you're thinking, why would things need to be broken or washed if, if the blood touched it? Well, listen to what Gordon Wenham, commentator, says. It says, since it is the blood that purifies the altar and other sacred objects, it must not, must not be spilled on other objects. If it is, it must be washed off. If that is impossible, the thing must be destroyed. And so there's these rules which tell God's people, this is special, this is different, this is sacred. What you are doing is unlike anything else. 
One commentator said, Each of these details is a reminder to the priests of the special nature of their calling and of the care they must take to remain worthy stewards of the ministry God has entrusted to them. Every aspect of this passage is carefully ordered to ensure that persons, objects, and ritual behavior correspond with and sustain the levels of holiness in the sanctuary. Now, we will spend quite a bit more time later on in Leviticus about the holy and the common, the clean and the unclean. But here, just notice what it says about worship. That worship in God's presence is a holy thing. It is set apart in sacredness and special because God himself is holiness defined and we meet with him. Now, in the New Testament, it it talks about it in, in different ways. But there is also that call to worship the Lord. As we've already read, our God is a consuming fire. And so worship, when you enter into worship, it, it is holy. Not because this building is holy, like we are the church, but because we're coming into God's presence. Now, it does seem that there is, there is very little sacred today. We're a very informal society. We, we've kind of dressed down. We've lost a lot of our, our rituals. Perhaps weddings and some funerals, some weddings and funerals still have some of that, 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 that gravity to them. But, but very little is, is set apart as special, which... Which, if you have a secular worldview where you believe that society is just the result of evolutionary processes, you, you can understand maybe why that's the case. But what scripture says it's different. Worship is different. You are a people made holy. You are saints. You're dedicated to the holy God. And worship reflects that. In fact, worship is, is the pinnacle of that reality. Right? We talk, Hebrews talks about coming to the holy mountain. It's back to Sinai. But, it, but it's really taking that and upping the ante and saying, you're, you're caught up into the heavenly places, into God's throne room. So, so what do we do with this? Well, just say here, the realities of God's holy presence is one of the reasons that we have two services, morning and evening. Now, you may know that one of the reasons that some Reformed churches hold two services is because of the tamid, the, the offering of the sacrifices, both in the evening and the morning. And, and, and we would see if there's sacrifices offered twice a day, or shouldn't we do that on the Lord's Day? I, I would admit, maybe coming from a Baptistic background, just hearing that as a proof text, I wasn't, I wasn't very convinced. I thought there's a lot of discontinuity. That's not, that's not very convincing to me. Uh, perhaps being in the OPC for, for 30 years, I started to be a little bit more sympathetic but I still didn't see it as a very strong case. You know, I changed my mind as I was, as I was looking through Scripture this week. And it, it wasn't anything a commentator said. I was just going through the Word, and the Spirit was connecting some dots in my mind. Let me just flesh out some reasons why I think the morning and the evening sacrifice that we talked about is, is a good model for our worship today. Well, as you see, in the consuming fire, sacrifice brings you into God's presence. It is through the burnt offering in the sanctuary that God meets his people and shows his glory. Remember Exodus 29, he says, It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the tent of the meeting before the Lord, and there I will meet with my people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. You go into this holy place set apart. By the way, there's an emphasis on the Sabbath. There's two lambs, morning and evening, setting it apart. And there's also a connection, I believe, back to creation. The sacrifice is burned from night until evening, you go to Leviticus 24, remember the, the priests tend the lamps, what, from evening to morning. I don't know where else you've heard that, but every time God creates in a day, it's evening and morning, first day. It's the only two places that in Scripture that I know that those are the same phrases used. I believe that's tying it back 
saying, there's another, look, Moses is looking back to the earth where God created this place for his people to serve him, but especially worship him, culminating in the Sabbath day, where God set apart that day as holy, special, and they enjoy rest and worship with him. Let me put that together. So you have this order of worship, built around sacrifice, twice a day. You come to God's presence. He shows you his glory with, with an emphasis on Sabbath, which he set apart, which sends you back to the original creation purpose, which we were created for in the first place. So, as Christians who live on this side of the cross, we believe we should honor that Sunday as holy. We could ask, well, if Sunday is holy and we see this model of worship in the Old Testament, why would we not meet twice if, if we can't? Now, it's not an ironclad commandment, such as in Hebrews, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together. Full stop. You will come together. But this is a beautiful and powerful principle that God shows his glory in a special way through worship. Old covenant, new covenant. Sunday is clearly a set-apart day. So why wouldn't we take our cue from the Old Testament and apply this principle to the Lord's day? Kids, I say to you, you know, your, your parents are thinking maybe, why did my parents bring me here again? Because they, they want you to, to taste and see that the Lord is good, but also to help you learn to set apart this day. You know, there is a place for honoring God in, in ritual. Now, sometimes we're very concerned about that word ritual. It sounds, sounds very Catholic, sounds very magic-like. Um, there are plenty of unbiblical rituals, some introduced in the Catholic Church and other places. But you know, in ritual, at least I broadly defined, it's just a routine with significance. You know, brushing my teeth is not a ritual. But when I clean my dialysis catheter before and I'm, and I'm memorizing verses and I'm asking the Lord to make me clean, like I'm antiseptic, uh, cleaning my dialysis catheter, that is. It's, it's part of rituals that have significance are part of being human. And our society has moved away from religious rituals and they've replaced them with other ones. Sports, politics, checking your phone, name your choice. But everyone has significant habits, rituals that shape who you are and help you make sense of your life. Well, the Lord's Day observance is a God-given ritual that he's given to you as a gift to shape you. And so as you come to worship, I pray that the Spirit works in, in all of our lives as it, 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 and through the Word. But think about this, even the act of coming Especially when, to be honest, you don't really feel like it, is a work on your heart. You know, worship, especially twice on Sunday, says, I am setting this day apart to seek my God and to meet him in his glory. My Sabbath, right, stopping to rest and worship, reminds me that I'm, I'm loved by God. I don't add anything to my salvation. That, that Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered sin, and then I, I am set apart and special as one of his people. And part of this means setting apart the day for worship and rest. So the Lord's day, it tells you that Jesus matters and you are different. You are holy. And your lives are to be structured around the rhythm of worship. Certainly personal worship and prayer with family and friends. But especially Sunday worship. right? Not, not the rhythms of football in the fall or, or public events or sports practices for kids or getting things done on Sunday. But, but rest and worship in the Lord. Well, there's one more reason that worship is worth the work. God is present. It is holy. You worship Jesus as God when you come on Sunday. You say, well, I know that. But one of the beauties of the Old Testament is it gives more vivid 
power and clarity to the truths that we know. Why do we study Leviticus? You cannot go through this book and, and, and miss the fact that God is great and holy and to worship him is a wonderful but gravely serious thing. If you truly understand worship, you, can't, you just can't be so-so about it. You can't be apathetic. Think of what the, what the sacrifices say. You were, you were cleansed from your guilt and you are washed from your sin. You were made right with God. You were devoted to him. You give him your best. God meets with you and welcomes you with a family feast. Worship with God, it says, provides life and meaning and salvation and purpose. And then Jesus comes along. He's a Jew. He believes all these things. And then John 7 says on the great feast day when the temple, the priests pour out water to symbolize how, how God cared for his people in the wilderness. Jesus stands out and cries, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow living waters. We heard today, this morning, about people who were crazy enough to say that they were God. But Jesus is different. He is special. He has those signs. He rose from the dead. And Jesus not only accepts, but even encourages worship. And the early church thought so when they, when they proclaimed Christos Kyrios. Jesus, Christ is Lord. Lord as in the same as the Yahweh in the Old Testament that Jews worshipped. He is God of all. He is worthy of worship. And this is more, even more unbelievable that this God-man who received worship is what that burnt offering offered every day was looking forward to. Your God is not far off and distant, but he became like you except for sin. He entered into a life of obedience and took on him the cross. You have a God as they, they were offering the sacrifices who bears the burden of your sin. We, we were singing the power of the cross this morning and this week was challenging for me. My, my health was just needed some adjustment and so I, I was just feeling bad and struggling and, and felt like slogging through mud and just, just feeling tired of pushing and tired of being tired and like this, there was this burden. And as I came and was singing the power of the cross, I really... <laughs> We have a Messiah who suffered for us. We have a Messiah who took our burden. Andrew, what you're bearing right now, you can't carry it, but Jesus has. He is God with you. And Jesus says, those reasons that those daily and Sabbath burnt offerings were accepted is because I am the final burnt offering. It is my death that will bring you into God's presence, make you acceptable, show you glory, worship me, follow me. So may we as God's people joyfully conform our lives to the rhythms that he has given to us. Worship is worth the work. Please pray with me. Father God, we ask that we would not take your worship lightly, but with amazement and joy, realize that you are more great than, than the lightning and storms outside. We thank you that you are a fire that protects that purifies, that purges us, and most of all, for our sacrifice, our burnt offering, Jesus Christ. For we pray this in his name. We pray this in his name.